Welcome to Jury Duty. I'm your host, Carrie Antholis. Season 7 of Jury Duty focuses on two sexual assault trials, the trials of Harvey Weinstein and Danny Masterson, that are currently taking place at the same time on the same floor of the Clara Shortridge Fultz Criminal Courts Building in downtown Los Angeles. As these trials wind down, we are bifurcating our coverage of them. On today's episode, we hear more from our correspondent, Molly Miller, and her conversation with New York Times correspondent, Lauren Herstick, about developments in the trial of Harvey Weinstein. That's all coming up right after the break. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. We begin today's installment with more from the chat between jury duty correspondent Molly Miller and New York Times correspondent Lauren Herstick about the latest witness testimony in the Los Angeles trial of Harvey Weinstein. We ended the first part of their dialogue with the conclusion of Jennifer Seibel Newsom's testimony against Weinstein. We pick up their conversation as they discuss other testimony in the people's case against the defendant. So Tuesday morning, actually, before Jennifer Seibel Newsom testified for the second day, it ended up being a big day for news regarding the charges against Weinstein. So can you tell us a little bit about what happened before the jury arrived? Yeah. So initially, this indictment included five Jane Doe's and 11 counts against Weinstein. But in opening statements, the prosecution only mentioned four of these women. And the question of Jane Doe 5 has been open for weeks now. They didn't ever officially drop the charges, didn't say one way or the other. But they did, before the jury came in on Tuesday, they did confirm that Jane Doe 5 is no longer testifying, which means that charges 8 through 11, which were connected to her, were dropped, which puts us back down at four Jane Doe's and seven charges. All right. So aside from Jennifer Seibel Newsom, what other important witnesses testified this week? Well, we had a prior bad acts witness, Natasia M., who is this Norwegian actress and model who met Weinstein in 2002 for the first time. She was a great watch on the stand, at the very least. She came in hot. I think the most memorable quote when she's describing the first time that she saw him and he saw her looking at her at a restaurant, I believe the quote is, who the fuck is that fat fuck who is sliming me? She said that someone else said, do you know who that is? That's Harvey Weinstein. And then she she yelled out, I yelled out, I don't give a fuck who it is. That guy is sliming me. Wow. So a different energy she brought to the stand. Oh, yeah. She was spicy. She was like giving now we have like the full buffet of options of victim behavior. You have like on one end, Jane Doe one who was just so emotionally broken. And then on the other hand, you have Natasia M coming in calling him a fat fuck. So tell us about her allegation against Weinstein. 
So she seems to have been in the most sort of like high profile celebrity circles where she crossed paths with him. She mentions like being at Cannes with the actress Michelle Rodriguez and they get like a room at a hotel from him or being at Fashion Week at a Marquesa show, which is his wife, Georgina Chapman's fashion line. JLo was there. She basically is running into him on and off over the course of a few years. Lauren explained that the incident at the center of Natasha's allegations against Weinstein occurred when the actress met him again at the 2008 BAFTAs in London. In a narrative that mirrors the testimony of Jane Doe One, the Italian talk show host and model, Natasha claims that Weinstein pounded on her hotel room door in the middle of the night, and that when she let him in, Weinstein forcibly raped her. I asked Lauren to walk us through Natasha's account of the alleged assault. She tells him at one point, I don't do the casting couch thing, and then goes through all the same motions, gets her in bed, forces himself on her, she freezes, she plays dead. And so did Natasha M. contact Weinstein after the incident? She did. The next time that they're in touch, he gets her to come to the Peninsula Hotel to drop off a tape, presumably an audition tape with his assistant. She thinks this is just going to be a handoff, but when she gets there, the assistant takes her upstairs to a suite and she said her thought was just fuck damn it kind of like a bait and switch and this time when she gets to the suite she gets in there and there's harvey weinstein and another woman who she thinks is a prostitute and then there's a whole discussion about trying to get her to have a threesome with them this was not her intention obviously at all so in this situation she ends up not engaging in the threesome but she still feels obligated to maintain the friendship with Weinstein for the sake of her career. In explaining, you know, what it's like to be in that situation and how you make a decision there, she said in court, he has you by the fucking throat knowing that if you don't comply, that your career is down the drain. Knowing that this thing you've worked on for months, that's not right. And there's another time that they connect where a friend asks her to get them a meeting about a project. So... Weinstein tells Natasha to come to the Montage Hotel for a drink. Again, she thinks this is probably safer. She has a friend. They're going to be at the bar. And they even have this, what she calls a human moment, where he talks about how he's going to therapy. And I think she kind of maybe saw a glimmer of humanity in him. However, he did make her come upstairs and watch him take a shower. And again, she her thought was like, this is Harvey Weinstein. He could ruin me. I can't say no. So... Then there was another time where an actress friend of hers wanted to meet Harvey for about a part. She arranges the meeting and she thinks they're going to a public restaurant, but finds out at the last minute he's taking them to his office. And there he tries to assault her friend who leaves and then he assaults Natasha again. And the through line with all of this is that always he's taking advantage of this power dynamic, whereas this imbalance where he has all the power in the industry and she's someone who needs something from him. This is a powerful person and she doesn't want to piss him off. In his cross-examination, Mark Worksman teased apart Natasha M's account of the alleged rape. In particular, he pointed out that while Natasha testified that she felt frozen, she didn't explicitly tell Weinstein that she didn't want to have sex with him. Worksman also brought up that Natasha had a glass of wine and took a Xanax the night of the alleged rape, and he implied that the combination of alcohol and medication altered her memory of the event. 
then the defense attorney returned to a now familiar line of questioning about the witness's continued contact with Weinstein after the alleged assault, including the near threesome encounter, the incident with her friend, and two other occasions of alleged sexual harassment. After walking Natasia through these similar incidents, Worksman asked, quote, "'Have you ever had your hand burned by touching a hot stove?' end quote. The prosecution objected, and it was sustained by the judge. Worksman followed up his question by asking Natasia if she ever learns from her mistakes. Natasia responded, quote, "'I usually make the same mistake over and over again,' end quote. In a brief redirect examination, prosecutor Paul Thompson clarified that although Natasia never told Weinstein, quote, no, I don't want to have sex with you, end quote, she did tell Weinstein that she didn't do the casting couch thing. Natasia testified that in her mind, the statement was a clear indication that she did not want to engage in a sexual relationship with Harvey Weinstein. 
for self-protective reasons, your brain blocks out the actual impact. And I think similarly with a trauma like assault, that's what the brain does. So it makes sense that a lot of these details are kind of missing or fuzzy. But the thing is that the main theme, hotel, assault, bathroom, shower, they're all the same. I want to finish up by just talking to you more generally about objectivity and objectivity as a reporter on trials. So obviously, before you go in and you cover a case, you do your research and you know the context before you ever cover the trial itself. So I'd like to know, do you ever feel a tension between wanting to cover just the proceedings before the jury in which a defendant is innocent until proven guilty and the larger reality that you do know a bigger set of facts that may be inadmissible in court? How do you tease out that potential bias? You kind of have to just leave it at the door when you walk into the courtroom each day. And for me, the fact that court is such an intense and immediate experience, because you have to be paying attention so closely to get down all the quotes exactly as they were said, but simultaneously analyze and synthesize what the lawyers are trying to do in their argument that precludes your secondary biases from like coming in at all. It's kind of like once you leave the courtroom and you have to make your article happen that you gotta really set it aside because you have the space to look at what you just heard in the context of all of the stuff that you don't know. But it's kind of a blessing that it's such a nearly impossible job to do. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering how covering this trial has been in contrast to covering Cosby. They're different. They're so different because Cosby was a civil trial. The burden of proof was much lower and the allegations were so different. They were 50 year old allegations. The victim and the only other woman who was there with her don't remember much they don't remember it the same. And then the the prior bad acts witnesses are kind of drawn from like a wider pool. So there isn't exactly the same consistency across their retellings of their experience. Still, there is enough to, to be like, yes, obviously, this is the Cosby rape. This is his MO. It's what he does. But ultimately, by the end of that trial, the question of whether Cosby did it or not was beside the point. They kind of didn't have to prove if he did it. Even in closing, his lawyer was like, I mean, he did something. But of all the things he could have done, this wasn't the worst. There wasn't even penetration. I mean, this woman like literally said that to a jury. But and the jury more mostly found in favor of the plaintiff. So, you know, that the stakes are just so completely different. And we're so far removed from the alleged crime in time. This one is very immediate. These women are like very much still processing their trauma. The witnesses were not like that in the Cosby trial. They had had a lot of time. They sort of wept a little talking about the assault itself, but talking around it and like the fallout, it wasn't nearly as dramatic as it was here. Well, looking forward to your thoughts on the rest of the trial. And thank you so much for joining us, Lauren. Yeah, of course. Anytime. The prosecution closed out their case by calling two fresh complaint witnesses and two detectives associated with the case. Louisa Geis testified as a fresh complaint witness for Jane Doe 4, who has publicly identified herself as Jennifer Seibel Newsom. 
Geis is an actress and screenwriter who met Seibel Newsom in 2005. She testified that in 2007, she traveled to Monte Carlo with Seibel Newsom on their way to the Cannes Film Festival. While on a walk in Monte Carlo, Geis says that Jennifer Seibel Newsom told her that she had been raped by, quote, a very influential man, like a high CEO type person, end quote. On cross-examination, defense attorney Mark Worksman dug into the ambiguity of Geis' testimony. He clarified that while Seibel Newsom told the witness that she had been raped, the complainant did not state at the time that her assailant was Harvey Weinstein. Geis herself has accused Weinstein of sexually harassing her at the Sundance Film Festival in 2008, but her allegations did not come up in court. She has since co-written book and lyrics for a musical called The Right Girl, based on a survivor's experience of sexual harassment in Hollywood. In addition to Geis, the prosecution called veteran TV director David Nutter to testify in support of prior bad acts witness Natasia M. Nutter explained that sometime around 2009, Natasia called him and said that Harvey Weinstein had sexually assaulted her. Nutter told the jury that he advised Natasia that she was in a very volatile situation, but that he would defend her if it came up again. He said he told her, quote, just watch yourself, be careful, end quote. Following Nutter's examination, the prosecution called Detective Josh Byers to the stand. Detective Byers testified regarding the search warrants for Weinstein's phone records that were displayed during the trial. Additionally, the prosecution called Detective Javier Vargas, the original investigating officer in the case. Vargas explained that Jane Doe One, the Italian talk show host and model, was interviewed three times by the police, not in an attempt to elicit a different statement, as the defense has insinuated, but due to new information that law enforcement received at the time. The prosecution rested on the afternoon of Thursday, November 17, and the jury was dismissed for Friday and the entire following week for the Thanksgiving holiday. Outside the presence of the jury, defense attorney Alan Jackson moved for the dismissal of all counts against Weinstein. He argued that there was a lack of credible evidence that Jane Doe One was even in the Mr. C Hotel the night of the alleged rape. In regard to Jane Doe Two, who identified herself as actress Lauren Young, Jackson stated that she, quote, in very convoluted testimony, finally admitted that at no point was she locked in the room, at no point was she prevented from leaving, end quote. In the case of Jane Doe III, the celebrity masseuse, Jackson argued that her allegations of sexual battery relied on skin-to-skin -skin contact, and that the complainant, quote, for all intents and purposes, conceded that she wasn't sure that there was skin-to-skin -skin contact, end quote. Finally, Jackson argued that the evidence suggests that Jane Doe 4, Jennifer Seibel Newsom, had a consensual sexual encounter with Weinstein, and that there was, quote, no corroboration of her assertion that there was force, end quote. Judge Lynch denied the defense's motion. The trial will resume on Monday, November 28. Defense counsel Mark Worksman told the court that he plans to call witnesses for at least two days of testimony, but the defense has yet to disclose a witness list to the prosecution. Molly Miller, thanks for joining us and for those fantastic reports with Lauren. Always happy to be here, Carrie. It seems the most dramatic point of this Weinstein trial, or at least the most complicated, was the testimony of Jennifer Seibel Newsom. What 
was your sense, based on your conversations with Lauren and with other members of the press pool, of how the Seibel Newsom testimony played for those viewers and how they projected that that testimony might have impacted on the jury? Well, I've had quite a few conversations with other journalists about the Seibel Newsom testimony, obviously because I wasn't there and I was very curious about it. And pretty universally, everybody thought it was a messy testimony, that her testimony was a bit all over the place that she was going off on tangents and moreover and more importantly, her relationship with Weinstein after the alleged assault was the most firmly established of all the Jane Doe's. She had all of these email conversations with Weinstein. She had a lot of contact with him in her political and Hollywood circles. And so the general thought by all of the journalists is that this is going to be a gray area for the jury and that there might be a little bit more skepticism when it comes to her, which is interesting because on the first day of her testimony, this was the first time that we had jurors actually appearing to cry in the jury box. So it seems like the defense did a pretty good job. You know, I found your conversations with Lauren fascinating, and it seems that because you both are straddling the worlds of journalism and creative narrative, that you share a perspective on this trial that's somewhat unique in the press pool. Is that accurate? I think that a lot of journalists share that perspective, but they probably can't print it. I have a lot more leeway being somebody doing a podcast than somebody, say, who's writing for the LA Times. And Lauren has more leeway being on a podcast than she does writing for the New York Times. So while the narratives that are coming out in the media or online or in articles might seem like they have a little bit less, I don't know, color or emotion to them, that's just the nature of the press. But if you talk to the other journalists, just, you know, offhanded and off the record, I do think that our perspective isn't necessarily unique. I think that by and large, everybody's having the same conversation surrounding this trial. And that conversation is slightly different from the one that's going on around the Masterson's trial, let's say. Would you say that's accurate? Yes, absolutely. And what do you think the basis of that difference is? So it's a few things. First and foremost, you know, with Masterson, there are three Jane Doe's and there hasn't been a whole lot of news coverage about Masterson up until this point. With Weinstein, you know, there was the New York trial, which had two Jane Doe's and then we've had four in this trial. But that's operating in a much grander context of Weinstein having about 80 accusers who have stepped forward. So the narrative surrounding Weinstein has been spinning since 2017 and more privately as an open secret for decades now. So I think that there is a little bit of fatigue in covering Weinstein when we're talking about dozens and dozens of accusers who have already come forward. Whereas with Masterson, we have these three women. So I think that 
the defense has actually been able to use this to their advantage and that they're trying to paint the women in Weinstein's trial as, you know, just the latest women to jump on the bandwagon of accusing Weinstein. It's much easier to be number, you know, 74 than it is to be number three. And while I don't think that any of the journalists covering this trial would necessarily subscribe to that opinion, I think that it seeped out into the general consciousness when we're covering the trial. Well, I'm really looking forward to seeing where this goes in the next couple of weeks and how the trial resolves itself. And again, thanks for all of your coverage of this and thanks for finding Lauren and having her engage with us about the trial. It's a very unique insight into the way that this is unfolding and we're looking forward to seeing how it resolves. Me too. All right. Thanks again, Molly. Thanks, Carrie. And with that, we conclude this episode of Jury Duty, The Trials of Weinstein and Masterson. Join us on our next installment as we hear from Brittany Bookbinder with a special guest to discuss the trial of Danny Masterson. Also, if you would like to listen to these episodes early and ad-free, head over to our Jury Duty Crime Story Patreon page. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. You can find more information about these trials on our Jury Duty Crime Story Patreon page or at crimestory.com. Jury Duty is created and produced by yours truly, Carrie Antholis. This episode was reported and written by Molly Miller. It was co-produced and edited by Chris Taracone. Music for this episode was provided by Strike Audio. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you will come back for the next episode of Jury Duty, The Trials of Weinstein and Masterson.